Long ago, there was a man who sought a perfect picture of peace. Not finding one that he was satisfied with, he announced a contest to produce this masterpiece painting that would really display what perfect peace would look like in a painting. The challenge stirred the imagination of many artists, and paintings began to arrive from far and wide. Finally, the day that he had scheduled to reveal these paintings, one by one, had, had come, and the judges uncovered one peaceful scene after another, portraying their uh, idea of what peace would look like. Viewers that were there that day on display would clap, would cheer, and tensions began to grow as one by one they uncovered them. The paintings began to portray peace more and more. They got down to the final two pictures that remained covered, and a judge pulled the cover from one, and a hush fell over the crowd, and, and certainly they thought, this is it. Of all the paintings we've seen today, in this painting was a mirror-smooth lake that reflected lacy green birches under a soft blush of the evening sky. Along the grassy shore, there was a flock of sheep uh, that were grazing undisturbed, and surely they thought this was the winner. But the man who had arranged such a contest himself uncovered the last painting. And the crowd, rather than a cheer, gasped in surprise, thinking, could this be peace? This is the one they saved for last. And it was in this painting that was featured a tumultuous waterfall that was cascading down a rocky embankment. In the background of, of this painting, were stormy gray clouds that were threatening with lightning. And the viewers could almost feel and hear the thunder and the chills from the storm as it was approaching. Underneath of the waterfall that was cascading down the cliff stood this spindly little tree that was clung to the rocks and a branch of the tree was protruding out into the waterfall. And in that branch, tucked away in an elbow of the tree, was a little nest for a bird. A little bird had built a nest here and stood undisturbed by the storm and the storm's surroundings. She rested there with her eggs, with her eyes closed, her wings ready to cover her little ones, and she showed peace and manifested peace that transcended anything they had seen that day. The wardrobe from the king is the book uh, where these paintings are described. But it's in that latter painting that we just described that truly is a picture of what it is like to live in peace. It's the previous or the, the first painting is, is what we idealize when we think of peace, where everything is perfect in life. But really it's a, it's a facade, it's, it's a gimmick because everything in our life will never be perfect all at once. Whether it's our relationships, or our faith, or our vocation, or our family, or our community, or our government, or our country. Uh, what we're tempted to do is, is say when everything is in perfect harmony, then we can experience peace, but that peace is focused on our circumstances, whereas the peace that we're gonna describe this morning that I wanna speak about from Philippians 4 is a peace that can exist no matter our circumstances, no matter what is taking place around us, 
no matter how difficult or how stressful it is, that there is a place in our life where we can experience the peace of God and we can live in peace. And of those two paintings, it is the first that we desire, right? Where everything is beautiful, where everything is peaceful, but it's not the reality of the world we live in. It is the second picture that is the reality that in the midst of a storm, God gives his people a peace. And it's a peace, as Paul says in Philippians 4, where we'll look today, it's a peace that passes all understanding. In Philippians 4, I want to read our passage this morning. We're going to look at verses 4 down through verse 9. Philippians chapter 4. The Bible says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Father, this morning, as we just pause and pray and meditate on this very passage, Lord, may you put a conviction and a belief in our hearts, Lord, that we can experience peace. We can live in peace, no matter our circumstances. For Lord, we're speaking of a peace that comes through you and a peace that comes from knowing you and trusting in you and believing in you. And Lord, in this passage, I believe are some ingredients to have a life of peace, no matter what is going on around us. And Lord, help us not to fall for the lie that's constantly being baited before us, that when this occurs, then peace will occur. When this occurs, then we can truly experience peace. Lord, help us believe and know by faith that we can experience peace today, no matter the stressors, no matter the evil, no matter the circumstances. For Lord, we serve a God who is over circumstance. And Lord, we serve a God this morning who is in control, who rules sovereignly over circumstances. Lord, help us to believe that today by faith and encourage ourselves in you. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here we are, 2020. If there's a year where a message of peace should resonate, it should be this year. If there's a year where we needed peace, it is this year. From social unrest earlier in the year that continues this day, from political unrest uh, that we are navigating through right now, from the health crisis uh, that we're experiencing and all the financial fallouts, the stresses that it's causing emotionally and mentally in the home and in relationships and marriages, schools, education. Uh, there are a lot of circumstances we find ourselves in. And if we're not careful, we might think in 2021, right, if you're really hopeful, or 2022, we'll, we'll return back to a peaceful place when we get care, taken care of all these issues that are surrounding us, but that is part of uh, the false narrative that we attempt to believe that that will bring us peace. Because the reality is, is that we will never have peace all the way around us in every direction, all at the same time. Uh, 
it's just not a reality of the broken world we live in. You say, are you, you've got a defeated mindset. You, you don't have enough positivity flowing through you. That's probably true. <laughs> uh, it's hard to navigate through 2020 and have all that positivity still flowing uh, through your veins, right? But what I'm, what I'm saying is, is that if your peace is dependent on your circumstances, your peace is gonna be like a roller coaster. Your peace isn't rooted in the rock of our salvation. Your peace isn't fixed on him who is anchored right? Our peace is going to float as high as the waters go or as low as they descend. We look at peace today and there's a lot of things that rob us of our peace. Even if we just look at the the storylines of 2020, Duke University did a study on peace of mind and they found there were several factors that uh, contributed to mental uh, and uh, peaceful state of mind. Uh, They said this, the absence of suspicion and resentment Uh, contributes to peace. What do we find our calendar filled with over the past year? A lot of resentment, right? A lot of suspicion. Um, Those things don't agree with living in peace. They said living in the past. If you can avoid living in the past, you can hopefully have a more peaceful state of mind. But often we are anchored to the past of something we've experienced. They said not wasting time and energy fighting against conditions you cannot change. And there are things that we trust are God's will. And when we work against those things that are fixed in our life that are God's will, we do so to the detriment of our own mental stability and to uh, the destruction of our own peace. We look at the beginning of Ephesians 4. We're not focusing on these first few verses here. Uh, But there's what some would say is a lack of peace. There's some arguments. There's some discord. There's some disagreements, whatever you want to call it, in the church at Philippi. Uh, Paul was experienced with dealing with conflict. He dealt with it at the Church of Rome. He dealt with it much of his ministry. And, and he's touching on this conflict. And so this passage about peace is in the midst of a passage directing a few folks about some difficulty and some conflict. And what I, I see in this passage when I look at it is that it is possible for us to have peace no matter our circumstances. I see some ingredients uh, for peace and the first ingredient we, we, we see in our passage, we look in at verse number four, is what we'll call the attitude of peace. That there's, a, there's an attitude of peace that when we display it in our life, allows peace to find a resting place in our residence. And that attitude of peace is rejoicing. We look at verse four, it says, rejoice in the Lord. What do you find yourself rejoicing in at this very season of life? What is it that you find joy in so much so that you're willing to share that joy with someone else? What are the things that you're talking about? What are the things that you're exciting about? That's what you are rejoicing in. Now, this passage says, rejoice, Lord. Now, we've already read through the passage. Where we're we're going is, is in verse number seven when he talks about the peace of God. But he's giving us some ingredients that lay the groundwork for the peace of God in our life. And he says that if we rejoice in the Lord, this is one of the ingredients for peace. And so I could also say this, that if we are not rejoicing in the Lord, there's a good chance we're gonna be struggling with experiencing the peace of God unless we're finding our joy in him. Now there's a lot of things this morning we can find our joy in. Maybe there's just a few things, temporarily. We can find joy, certainly, in material blessings that God has given us. Every good gift comes from the Father above. And we can rejoice those, but they're temporary. We can even rejoice in other circumstantial things in our life. Maybe it's a relationship. 
relationships come and go, whether it's coworkers or it's friends, even family. The Lord has appointed us on this on this life, on this earth for a season, and it's but a vapor. It's there and it vanishes away, and relationships change. And if all of our peace is anchored in a relationship or a circumstance, whether it's material or it's a person or it's a job or it's, it's a house or it's something that we have or a place that we are, all those things are fleeting and temporary and changing all of the time. There's only one who does not change, and it's the Lord. He says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this attitude of peace says that we are to rejoice, but, but notice where that rejoicing is to be placed in. And I'm not saying we can't rejoice in other things, but if we are going to have peace, our rejoicing must be in whom? It must be in the Lord. He says rejoice in the Lord. And so I, I, I backtrack for a moment and I ask you that question again a little bit differently. Not what is it that you're rejoicing in, but what is it about the Lord that you are rejoicing in today? What is it about him that causes you to have joy and to communicate that joy, whether it's in song, whether it's in worship, whether it's in prayer, whether it's to another brother or sister, what is it that you rejoice in about God, about who he is? Now, Take away all of God's gifts, and they're many and various, even the gift of salvation. But what is it just about God himself that you find joy in? Certainly it's easy to say we thank God and we find joy in all the gifts he's given us. The gift of life, the gift of salvation, the gift of relationship, and we can go on and on, even down to the material blessings and the daily breads he blesses us with. But just in God himself, what is it that you find joy in? Many would say that they find joy in the love of God, and that's a great place to find joy in, that we rejoice in God's love for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten love. Even his gifts are rooted in his love. Some would say it's the love of God that I rejoice in, and certainly we should rejoice in the love of God. Some would say it's his mercy or it's his grace. I rejoice in the fact that God is all-powerful or he's all-knowing. And there's many things that we could rejoice in. And you can choose what you want to rejoice in. But it just says rejoice in the Lord. And if we rejoice in the Lord, it's putting us on this path to peace. The peace of God in our lives. As I, as I ponder about what it is that I should rejoice in God about, I think about the reality of who God is, that God is, is sovereign. In other words, God is in control. And to me, that's one of the greatest things that I personally can rejoice in, especially when I'm struggling with peace and I'm struggling with all the circumstances around me because what it means that God is sovereign is it means that God is in control, that he is, that he is the Lord of all lords, the God of all gods. He's on his throne high and lifted up. He is in a place of authority and power and he is in control even in the moment where our glimpse from our vantage point says things are out of control. We believe that by faith, right? We believe Romans 8, 28, that he is working all things together for good because God is sovereign. God is in control. And we can rejoice this morning no matter our circumstances because God is in control. I know occasionally there's a few folks in church and someone's talking about brokenness and problems and despair, and it sounds kind of sad, but we do live in a broken world and we do talk about those things. But by chance, there is someone here where everything is going just perfect. 
and you cannot relate uh, to maybe this uh, conversation on peace, uh, you're probably in a weird window of life that won't last very long, right? Uh, it's what some people say that you're either uh, coming out of a trouble or problem, or you're getting ready to go back in to a problem or trouble in life. Those are the seasons of life. These things are cyclical. And it's very rare if all the stars align that everything seems to be at peace for a moment. And if that's where, again, if that's where we're drawing our peace from, peace is gonna be very hard to come by. But if we can say that we have peace no matter the circumstances because this peace is rooted in the Lord and it's found in our joy in him and him alone, it causes us to rejoice in who he is. And if we believe this truth about God, that God is sovereign, God is in control, no matter the circumstances, whether people harm us, they do us wrong, they mistreat us, they offend us, they ruin our reputation, no matter what they do, they cannot take this and that is our joy and our rejoicing in the Lord and that peace he has given us. We look at verse four, it says, rejoice in the Lord. Then he throws this in there, always. You know, we can rejoice in the Lord always. Well, well, how can you rejoice in the Lord when this is happening and this is happening and that is happening? Again, that's because you're thinking, your rejoicing is based on circumstances and not on who God is. <laughs> the reality is, look what Paul's going through. Here's a man who is constantly being attacked, constantly being persecuted, troubled. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. It's not because all these things unpleasant are worthy of rejoicing. It's because of what we're to rejoice in. And it's, it's the Lord. Our rejoicing is in him. And often we confuse our rejoicing in the things and the gifts and the circumstances of life, but our rejoicing needs to be in him and in him alone. Rejoice in who the Lord is. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And if that's not enough, the tagline of verse four says again, again, I will say rejoice. Uh, we can't have enough rejoicing in our life. And when our life is rejoicing in who God is, it puts us on this path to experiencing the peace of God. It has nothing to do with our circumstances. He says rejoice in the Lord, rejoice always. And then he says in verse number five, even rejoice about his return. In verse five, let your gentleness be known to all men, the Lord is at hand. Notice this part in the beginning of verse five that, that he says our relationships one with another should be filled with grace. He says, really, he says, be gracious one toward another. Again, going back, maybe the circumstances of life are stressful. Maybe you have been mistreated. You've been wronged. You're still to reach out in love. Or maybe you're the one that has done the wrong. Maybe you're the one that has wronged someone else. He says, let's be gracious one with another. And this is uh, one of the things that makes the choice uh, family attractive is this value we have of grace. Uh, that we ought to be gracious one to another. Uh, humble graciousness. Let's use that idea when we look at verse five. Let your gentleness, your graciousness be known to all men. Well, how can we be gracious with someone when they've wronged us? How can we be gracious when we are stressed to the brim, <laughs> right? How do we normally behave in the flesh when we are overcome by the circumstances. Uh, there's probably a lot more anger than graciousness. Uh, there's probably some choice words or choice behaviors or, or some things that we do that aren't so pleasant. Uh, someone might say, well, what happened to that, that eye for an eye, tooth for tooth? Where is that? I don't think it's in here. Um, but I know that, that we are to return good for evil. That's, 
That's in here. That we are to respond with graciousness. Why is that? Because we know God is in control no matter what is happening to us and no matter what we have done. We trust that God is sovereign and we are to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice always and rejoice that the Lord is at hand. His return is coming closer and closer and closer. We look at verses six and seven and we see another ingredient of the peace of God. If, if we can look at the attitude of peace as rejoicing, we can look at the language of peace as prayer. That's what Warren Wearsby said. He says the language of peace is prayer in verses six and seven. Be anxious, be worried for nothing. Listen, don't be worried. Verse six says, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. You know, if anybody had an excuse for worrying, it had to be the Apostle Paul who's, who's writing this, filled with the Holy Spirit. He had Christian friends in Philippi disagreeing with one another, and he's working with dozens of churches. Uh, Pastor Tim, you can probably relate to pastoring one church. Uh, people falling in disagreement can be challenging and taxing mentally, emotionally, personally. Uh, here's a guy who's working with dozens and dozens of churches. And there's disagreements in Philippi, and there's disagreements at Rome. His own life is on the line. His own death uh, is, is coming. And if anyone had a good excuse to worry, it was Paul, but he did not. Instead, he takes time to explain to us about this victory we can have and experiencing the peace of God. He, he essentially tells us in verse 6 that prayer cancels out worry. Prayer cancels out worry. Listen, if we're struggling with anxiousness and worry about what's happening, whether it's this uh, election cycle we just came through, maybe you're down in the dumps or maybe you're rejoicing. Maybe it was flipped around the last election cycle. Uh, maybe it's the financial markets with all the uncertainty and more businesses about to close, right? It's a dark winter is what our presidential elect has told us, right? A dark winter ahead. Maybe that's enough just to discourage you. Not very hopeful of things to come. And there's, there's so many things in our life that can bring in discouragement and gloom and doom. And I'm not here to say that you should work yourself up into the power of positivity. I'm not saying that you should believe things that aren't so. I think we should be realist. But I look at this passage and I see that, that prayer cancels out worry, that it does no good for us to dwell on that anxiousness and become worried. But we take those things and we bring them to the Lord and it is our prayer that cancels out worry. And by the way, it's, it's our prayer by itself, not the answers to prayer. Because if you're thinking this morning, yes, when God answers my prayer this way, then, then I'll have peace. But that's not what the passage says. The passage doesn't say when God answers your prayer according to your desire, then you'll experience peace. That's not what it says at all. Go back again at verse six. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. All right, then it comes, six to seven. But here's what we often think. Lord, you answer my prayer this way, I'll have peace. What are we doing? We're, we're basing, again, our peace on our circumstances. God, you do this here and you do this over here, then I'll experience peace. But that peace is not coming from him and mounted in him no matter the circumstances, in a, a fixed point anchored in him, again, it becomes circumstantial. So it is our prayer and our prayer alone, no matter how the Lord answers the prayer. I think of Job often where he says, in the midst of difficult circumstances, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. 
In other words, Job says, I, I'm not so worried about the outcome. I still trust him. I still have my joy and my confidence rooted in the Lord and our rejoicing is rooted in him and our prayer helps us also cancel out this worry as we come to him in prayer. And we don't have to come saying, listen, I, I'm so desperate. I need this answer to have joy. I need this answer to have peace. That's not what he's saying. It's the exercise of prayer coming into the fellowship and the presence of God with his people or alone coming boldly before his throne of gross, uh, grace. That gives us peace in and of itself. We don't need to wait for the answer to have peace. Maybe you've been around that person. They're going through a health crisis, maybe their terminal diagnosis, and they're going through great difficulty and they're not waiting for the healing to have peace. They're not waiting for something good to happen to have peace, but yet to everyone's surprise, they have peace in the midst of the difficult circumstances because their peace isn't anchored to their circumstances. Their peace is anchored to God and their prayer time with God is what gives them peace, not the answers to those prayers. We could break down the elements of prayer that he talks about in verse six. We do not have the time today, but he talks about several different types of prayer. Prayer itself, using that term uh, there, refers to adoration, devotion, a general sense of worship, just the discipline of coming before God and supplication, asking him, taking our burdens and our requests to him, and thanksgiving is uh, something that is upon us, the holiday that is. Uh, if you've followed social media uh, for choice, I know it's, I believe it's on Facebook. We're doing this little daily challenge to be, uh, share what it is you're thankful for. Send it around maybe a word or a theme or an idea. And these things are all positive because the, the spirit and the attitude and the exercise of giving God thanks, coming to him with our supplications and our prayers helps cancel out worry in our lives. Prayer produces peace. Listen, this is what this is all leading up to. Verse seven, the peace of God, the climax of the passage, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Yeah, this is why peace is so precious. When we have peace, it protects us. It protects our hearts. It protects our minds. We're able to put out some things of our life when we have peace. I want to look here at verses eight and nine for a moment here. Verses eight and nine. If we're looking at some ingredients about the peace of God that Paul gives us, we've talked about this attitude of peace, rejoicing in the Lord, this language of peace, prayer. If we look at verses eight and nine, I'll, I'll call this section the behavior of peace. And there's two things I wanna look at, both in verse eight and verse nine, because peace is contingent on a few things from us. It's great what God does for us. God does some things for us that we cannot even participate in, we are just recipients of. Our salvation, for one, by grace we are saved. Through faith, it's, it's not of ourselves, lest we should boast. But the Bible does say this, that if we draw near to God, he draws near to us. There's a, there's a participation level, there's an openness, there's a yieldedness uh, to be able to see God do the things in our life that he wants to do. And, and if we were to talk about the behavior of peace, a peace that only God can give, if we want to stay in that peace, there are some things in our lives that we should be paying attention to if we wanna stay in that window of peace, the peace of God. There's two behaviors in verse eight. Verse eight, he says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, 
meditate on these things. The first behavior here is just meditation. I know it's a word we don't often use today, and there's a lot of vagueness around what it means to meditate. Maybe we get some Far Eastern imagery into our minds with blankets. I don't know what you think of. Uh, But think of meditation as just mentally dwelling and thinking on the right things. You know, the behavior that we need to have in our life if we're to stay in this window of peace is that we need to be meditating on the right things. And this is difficult because the mind is constantly under attack, is constantly having things thrown at us. Why is that? Because it is uh, our adversary, the devil, who knows our weaknesses. And he knows if he can get to our mind, he can truly hamper our walk and our capability to experience the peace of God. But if we can meditate on the right things, those things that are true and noble and just, those things that are pure and lovely and of good report, then we can stay in this window of peace. I know in my life when I've not protected my mind, the peace of God seems to be fleeting. And so we are to meditate on the right things. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 reminds us that our thoughts are real and they are powerful. Even if they cannot be seen or weighed, they are there and they have an impact. 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says, bringing every thought into the captivity of obedience to Christ. I'm not sure who said this, but someone said, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. Destiny. Listen, this is important for us to be meditating on the right things, he says in verse eight. Now you have the peace of God, you're a child of God and you're rejoicing in the Lord and you're using the language of peace prayer. But if we are to maintain this, he says, meditate on the right things, protect your mind. And he says in verse nine that we need to do the right things. There is some activity that is necessary on our part. The Bible says in James that we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only. He says in verse nine, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. Do these things and the God of peace will be with you. Listen, do the right things, meditating on the right things and doing the right things, the things you have learned. I know sometimes in Christianity, we're always looking for the next new great thing, whether it's the song or the message or some communicator, some new take on a truth and everyone gets blown away. Listen, you gotta hear this person, you gotta hear this, this talk. But the reality is, is, is those things aren't what cause, give us the biggest uh, bump in our Christian life or the biggest boost. It's not those things that help us take it to the next level in our spiritual life, some new thing. But the reality is the things that we struggle with that we already know, the things that we have learned early in our Christian life, the bedrock disciplines of walking with Christ, it's those things that we struggle with. And it's those things that we ignore looking for the next new thing. And he says, the things that you already know, the things that you have already learned, do those things. And maybe you've come today and maybe you're a new believer and there's still some of those things you need to learn. But if you're a believer of any time, you've probably heard through preaching and teaching or small groups or Sunday school over the years, the things that you need to know. And, and, and when you come to church, maybe there's a new angle and there's a new reminder. But the reality is, is we need to go back to those things that we've already learned, those things that we've already heard and those things that we've already seen. And if we're doing the right things and meditating on the right things, the peace of God is something that can take up residency in our life. We're to be doers of the word. 
It was the late great evangelist of almost 100 years ago, Bob Jones Sr., I believe, that said, do right, do right, even if the stars fall, do right. I close our time together with Charles Wesley's prayer. He says, rest beneath the Almighty's shade. My griefs expire, my troubles cease. Thou, Lord, on whom my soul is stayed, will keep me still in perfect peace. Father, this morning as we pray, we know that there is a peace that is perfect and it's not based on what is going around us in this crazy world. Lord, it's not based on our circumstances. But Lord, this morning we can be reminded of this reality that there is a peace to be experienced that can go with us no matter what season of life we are, whether we are grieving and experiencing loss, whether we have been wronged or someone has wronged us, whether, Lord, we are overcome with negative emotions from experiences of life, whether we're experiencing financial hardships or health crisis or a country that seems to be in chaos, spiraling out of control. Lord, it does not matter, for you are on your throne. Lord, for you are in control and you are sovereign, Lord of all lords. And Lord, help us to rejoice in you. Help us to pray daily, carrying out these basic disciplines of the Christian life, coming to you daily in prayer. And Lord, help us to protect our mind, meditating on the right things and doing the right things. And maybe it's this morning, Lord, that we need to repent of some things, to truly experience your peace, some things that are holding it back. But I pray that you work in our hearts and you work in our lives that we may truly experience this peace that passes all understanding. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.